You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. What's up, military millionaires? I have not done a good enough job talking about syndication opportunities. So for those of you who don't know, I have been investing in some apartment complexes over the years, as long as as well as a bunch of other stuff. But I just have never really mentioned it on the podcast. So I apologize for making that hard to find. Look, if you are an accredited or sophisticated investor or unsure and would just like to talk, go ahead and go over to the investor from militarymillionaire.com slash investor slash and just fill out the little form. Let's jump on a call and talk. I'd love to hear how we can help each other out. So some of the opportunities that we provide can be anything from really big cash flow advance, uh, opportunities to big equity plays. We do. I, I even do some private lending type stuff, but lots of different opportunities out there to invest. And I just want to make sure that you guys understand those are out there. So if you're interested in syndications or private money, you know, I'd love to jump on a call with you. There are ways that we can help you out. You can help me out. We can help everybody out. Win, 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 win situation. Our most recent deal was 146 units, uh, 7% preferred return, and uh, projected 18% plus return on investment. But we've done better. We've done not quite as good with more equity play, like lots of different opportunities, right? And if you want to be, there's a separate email list that I have, which I send those deals to. And if you want to be on that list, then let's schedule a call and jump on it because we need to know each other if I'm going to be sending you information on these opportunities. I would hate for you to miss out on it just because of my ugly mug not telling you. So if that sounds interesting, let me know. If that does not sound interesting, enjoy the show right now. What's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Bray, and I am here with Alexander Felice, who has decided to co-host us again, which is awesome. It's so nice of him to join us sometimes. But we're here tonight with Rachel Richards, who uh, was financially independent by the age of 27. She's now super old. She's 28. And uh, she's authored two books, Money, Honey, and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. And she's done uh, just a whole bunch of different passive income stuff in real estate, which uh, I actually didn't dig as far into as I could have before the intro because I wanted to be able to ask all those questions live, which is more fun. So Rachel, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself real quick and then we'll dig in. Sure. So I have a lot going on. I'm a lot of things. I'm a best-selling author, former financial advisor, um, real estate investor. My husband and I own almost 40 rental units in Kentucky. And then as you kind of already touched on, what people find most intriguing about me is the fact that I retired last year at age 27 with over $10,000 per month in passive income. Um, And even just back in 2017, we had a $0 in passive income. So we were able to come really long way in just a couple short years. That's uh, short and sweet. I like it. Where in Kentucky? Louisville. That's where I lived for the last 20 years and we just moved to Colorado. I like Colorado. What part? Colorado Springs. Oh, nice. Nice area. Yeah. That's good. It's fun to be able to make that decision now or, you know, whenever. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So my first question before you get into this is, is where did it start? Like when were you always frugal or how did, where was the, the switch that got you on this path? Um, I would say it was as early as sixth grade. So there, I have this funny memory of 
being in summer camp and all my friends going down the water slides and playing. And then I was sitting at the edge of this pool reading The Motley Fool's Guide for Teens, How to Have More Money Than Your Parents Ever Dreamed Of. I was like, this is awesome. And it just kind of lit a fire in me. So from that young age, I was really excited to learn more about money management. I felt like I had the time advantage and took it seriously. Um, in middle school and high school, I started, I started developing some fears because I grew up in this really white, wealthy county surrounded by uber rich people. And, you know, my family was on a budget. We weren't going out to restaurants. We weren't going on trips. But everyone in my high school, they were getting BMWs when they turned 16. So I felt a little bit out of place. I never felt like I quite fit in. And that's not really the, want, the way that you want to feel in middle school and high school. So it really sparked an even further interest. And I just decided then I didn't want to end up like everyone else. I didn't want to have to struggle with money for the rest of my life. I didn't want to have to operate on a strict budget or borrow money from family and friends to make it to my next paycheck. I wanted to be different. And I realized that what I did then would either set me up for wealth or for poverty. Well, if it makes you feel any better about your early life decisions, uh, you said sixth grade, you were sitting on the sideline reading a magazine while people were playing in the water park. Uh, by senior year, I was still just pushing people down water slides. So. <laughs> Yeah, I've been quite the nerd my entire life. So, <laughs> in fact, I'm probably yeah, that's what I was still ask. push people so, down. So, where's um? So, what do you, you retire at 27? What do you do for fun? Because it doesn't sound like you do anything for fun. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot for fun, and when I say retire, I don't mean like I don't do anything. I I really mean financially independent, so I can have more flexibility to do to work when, where, and if I want. But you know, one of my biggest passions is traveling the world. My husband and I love to travel. Obviously, haven't been doing much of that this year. But then our other really big passion is hiking. So that's part of the reason we moved to Colorado. We love the outdoors and we love hiking the mountains. I love I like hiking. It. I just hiking this weekend. Yeah, I miss cool. hiking in Nevada. It's good. It's way more fun when it's on your terms and not with like a pack on like because the military said you're going to go hike. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can't even imagine. <laughs> so, okay. So we, we see where you started. What were the first passive income streams? So obviously we're going to dig into the 40 units at some point, but was that the first method you started using? Okay. Mm -hmm. It was. Yeah. I, from, I was an avid reader. I was always learning stuff. And to me, real estate investing felt like one of the best tools for building long-term wealth. So I always knew I wanted to invest in real estate. Um, 2017 was the year that my husband and I bought our first duplex in Louisville, Kentucky. Later that year, I wrote and published my first best-selling book, Money Honey. So we had these two passive income streams, rental income and royalty income. And we basically focused on growing those as much as we possibly could over the next few years. Okay. I got to ask, how does a book do in terms of royalty? Because I'm writing one and I'm just curious what, I, that's not my goal. My goal is not to make it some crazy passive income stream, but I've heard a lot of, I've heard the gauntlet. I've heard authors who that's what they do. And I've heard authors who are like, I still haven't made back my editing, you know? So I'm just curious, yeah. like, you know, what that kind of structure looks like. 
Yeah, that's a great question. I was really concerned going into it because I'm, first of all, a frugal, frugal person, don't like to spend money. And I didn't want to dump, you know, invest thousands of dollars into this book and then maybe not even make that back up. So I launched Money Honey for less than 600 bucks and most of that was spent on my editor. And luckily I broke even that very first month and it's, it's increased and maintained momentum since then. Um, in February, I had my first $7,000 month in book profits. So it is wow. something that has turned into a really substantial income stream for me. Um, but like you, I didn't start writing the book envisioning this big income stream or trying to monetize it. It was just more of a passion project, something I felt compelled to do. And I'm, I'm glad it was like that because I think if I was just out for the money, people would have really seen right through that. And it probably just wouldn't have done as well. Actually, I find that to be quite true. It's usually the people who do things for the money who don't, like they struggle to make the money. Yeah. Not, maybe not usually. It depends on how you make the money, I suppose. But I, I find that people who do things for more of a philanthropical or hobby reason, generally speaking, seem to actually do fairly well with it. I don't know if that's a karma thing or whatever you believe in, but. Soul in the game. That's probably it. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. That's yeah, the you're, way you're, in, you're invested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Nassim Jr. over there. Um, are you a Nassim Taleb fan? Of celeb fan? Sometimes. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of TV. Oh, no, no. no sorry. Nassim Taleb. Uh, he's an author. Oh, oh um, wait. That name sounds familiar. But what, what did he write? The one that's popular is The Black Swan. Oh, okay. I have not read that. Yeah, he's, a, he's like the kind of book that you as a fellow data nerd, money nerd probably would enjoy, but most people would be like, you read that? <laughs> I really love my dry finance textbooks and I'm being 100% serious. <laughs> Do you have any um, education in finance? Formal? Yeah, my degree was in financial economics. Total nerd through and through. Through and through. <laughs> it works. Yeah, we're uh, hey, look, I have a finance degree. I mean, as much as I act the way I act, I have, a, I have an undergrad in finance, so I'm a, I'm a money nerd first. It works. It does. Uh, so what about the real estate? So you, you said you have 40 units? Yeah, almost 40. I think it's 38. Are, um, they, are they individuals? It's a, it's, it's a mix. So we have two single families, one duplex, and then three buildings that are like 10 to 12 units each. As a package? Are they one parcel? Um, we bought two of them from the same owner, but they were just all three separate buildings. I'm just curious about, I was just curious about financing. You financed them as one? No, we had bought, we bought each property separately. They were all probably about six months apart, but yeah, I mean, that's, I get that question a lot of, you know, how did you and your husband come up with the money for the first one, let alone all the rest? Um, so have you guys heard of Cutco Cutlery, Cutco Knives? Yes. My <laughs> cousin, I think at one point sold for them. Okay. So I sold Cutco through college. That's how I paid for my school. I paid my way through school and graduated without debt. And my husband, who is a Navy veteran, used his military benefits to pay for his college tuition. So we both graduated without debt, which um, was a huge advantage. And we were pretty responsible with our money. So we were saving some money. So it didn't take long for us to come up with about 10 grand each. And I bought, we bought our first duplex when I was 24. So I'd been out of school for about three or four years. So keep in mind too, this is Louisville, Kentucky. I can hear my Bay Area people scoffing at me. <laughs> 
but Louisville is a great place to invest anywhere in the Midwest. Um, the duplex we bought was a hundred grand. And even for Louisville, that's a great price, especially in the area that we bought. So we put our 20% down payment down and worked out a seller concession to make all the repairs that we needed to make, which that's a little bit harder to do these days. Um, but that's how we bought our first duplex. Now how we bought the rest of them, is first of all, I had my real estate license. So that's something I'm really glad I did from the get-go. I only had it for my own purposes and for investing. So I got those buyer's agent commissions every time we bought something, I would get a chunk of money back. Then we kept saving aggressively the way we had been. And then we had the cash flow on top of that that we were now making from the investment property. So once you get one or two under your belt, the momentum just starts to build really, really quickly. And we were always able to come up with that 20, 25% down payment for every single property we bought real estate's so easy <laughs> oh gosh i wish that were the case <laughs> uh, depends on how you do it i suppose the concept is uh i think i think what he's just saying is like people make things seem way more complex than they need to be with real estate like the overall principle yeah. is basically like if you write down all the expenses over here and you write down the income over here and this number is bigger and you can afford the house Ta-da! like <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's so simple. And I love that you know going in how much money you're going to make. I mean, it, in a sense, you know, you can be pretty precise and pretty accurate, but it's not like with launching a book, like, oh, is this going to work? Am I going to make money? You really have no idea. But with a rental property, you know the numbers going in and you know the ROI and that it's going to be a good deal. So that's what I love about it. it to me, it's black and white. And nine times out of 10, if something goes terribly wrong, you can point a finger back to yourself and say, oh, I fucked this up how do I fix this? As Which opposed, I've done. So yeah. As times. opposed to like, you know, people who are only in something they don't have control over, uh, whether that be securities and not to say that that's bad, but you know, if that's the only thing, like there's always a risk. Like I always laugh about the whole security thing. Like Elon Musk spoke to blunt and the stock dropped 9% the next morning. <laughs> like I had no control over that. Now granted that bounced bounce back, but I like the fact that with real estate, you know, if something goes really wrong, I can, I, I'm responsible. I can fix it. I can control it. Like, yeah, I like that too. The upside is the ceiling is lower though. You True. can't make way more than, you know, if the place rents for a thousand dollars a month, it's like, you can't make three grand a month on this. Yeah, that's true. What's your favorite income stream? I think that's a hard question. I would say my favorite right now is the royalty income. Um, this is what I'm doing in my retirement. This is what fulfills me and I'm passionate about teaching young people about financial literacy. So it doesn't even feel like work. It's just fun. But probably a couple of years ago, I would have said rental income because rental income to me, it's what got us from point A to point B. And by no means am I so passionate about rental income that I want to build this huge empire. For me, it was more of a means to an end. But, you know, I think that's how it is for a lot of people. I didn't want to quit my job to become a full-time landlord or anything, but it's just amazing. So I think it's attainable for people and it can be a great way to achieve financial independence so that you can then spend your time doing what you love. So David and I were just talking about that, and I talk about this quite often. Uh, once you have enough money that you don't need a day job, uh, a lot of people struggle to find ways to fill the time, both productively and meaningfully. Do you think that uh, which problem is harder, getting enough money to retire or finding what to do with all your – I mean, you have enough, right? Yeah. That's a, a good question. Problem. I. 
for me personally, it was just getting enough money to retire. I, Cause I had already built my book business. And by the time I quit my job, I already knew this is what I want to be spending my time on. So I think I actually got really lucky in that regard. Um, but my husband, he's still working, you know, at this point because he wants to, not because he has to financially. And he loves what he does. He loves his job. And, you know, I don't know if there would be something that he would be drawn to necessarily do if he decided to quit, you know, that might be a little bit more of a question for him, but it's such a great point because you know, no one should go out and just try to quit their job without having a really clear idea of what they want their life to look like. You know, sometimes I think we're so focused on getting out of the rat race and quitting our job. And you can't be so focused on running away from something that you're not thinking about what you're running towards. I, to push back on that, I think there's a lot of people out there that have miserable, horrible jobs that are, that they work for tyrants and horrible, miserable people. And uh, a lot of times quitting your job with no money is better than staying in a job that you hate just to make ends meet. I mean, that's just my personal, you know, but I'm definitely, your, your style and my style are very different. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Alex's well, I, style and anybody's style is just, quite different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Uh, that's too funny. No, yeah, I've had um, a job actually where I was, I, I would say bullied by this manager and this was somebody that she made her employees cry on a regular basis. I mean, she was cruel, demeaning, condescending, and it's tough uh, because I definitely felt I would be happier being unemployed than being employed by her. But I had to force myself to just try to wait until I got another job because I had quit a job previously without having anything lined up. And I did not like the way that made me feel like just for me personally, that's not going to be the right answer for everybody. But yeah, so that's kind of why I am the way that I am. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's very interesting. Like people's personal, like for it to counter you, what you just said, right? Like I quit a job about every two years, uh, no matter what, cause I get bored. I get sick of people. I get irritable and it's like, I don't nothing. I'll take nothing over this. I got to get out. Uh, and I have and I don't like being unemployed, especially when I didn't have enough money. I didn't like that either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I deal with that struggle, but it's, it's interesting. Like, like you said, the, an- the answer is not the same for everybody, yeah. but, uh, that's why it's so important. Like people that are in jobs that are just okay. You know, that's almost the worst. The job that you don't hate, but you're not doing anything with, and you're just like, you know, lifestyle inflation, or you're getting fat car payments. It's like, dude, that's the worst possible situation. Because mm. God forbid one day the tyrant boss walks in and now you're miserable and you've built yourself no out. Or the, the most common scenario is you get a job you like enough, you hit 35, then you start to dislike it and you have nothing set up and you figure, oh, it'll be okay. And then by the time you're 40, you're like, well, now I'm miserable. I don't want to do this at all. And I have no, so... The fact that you all did this up by, by 27 is just, I saw David before the show, like I was still an alcoholic by 27. I don't know how you did all this. This is insane. But I, I love it because uh, could, there's a lot of people that watch the show. My, I guess our, our demographic is probably a little bit, probably mid thirties is my guess. Um, but you know, there's a lot of people that are trying to get out and it's admirable, you know, to be able to like, look, be frugal and get, and go find your thing and then get out. Yeah. And I love what you said about having an exit strategy, you know, just give yourself options. And one of the best ways to do that is to diversify your income and have multiple streams of income. The last thing you want to do is be 100% dependent on a single source of income. Agreed. Well, that's a, yeah. I mean, even if that's a solid career, like the military, you know, I, I tell people all the time, like, 
Yeah. So there's this thing that people like to do in the military where uh, you go for a run and you think it's going to be three miles and you come back around to like your barracks where you live. And as you're coming back around, you're like, oh yeah, okay, we're done running. And then they like turn and just keep going for like another mile. And I always joke with people because I'm like, dude, like I would rather you tell me we're running seven miles and we run seven miles than you tell me we're running three and we come up to the barracks and run a fourth. Because mentally I was prepared for seven so no big deal, but I was prepared for the end and then I had to keep going. And I, I try to use that analogy for real, uh, for life. It's like, well, people in the military get to 20 years in the military and they retire, but then they'd like, they're not retired. You know, their pay isn't as much as they thought or whatever, and they have to go to work. So I'm like, you need to prepare for this, whether you want to stay in or not, because ultimately like that's, that would be the worst thing in the world is to play, to work for 20 years towards retirement and then realize you, you oh, oh, I'm not done. I have to go. What about, what about in 03 when I was in 02, I'm not old, 03, 02 when I was in and the 20 year guys were getting recalled to go to the desert. Like, yeah, we need, you can't get out. We're stop lossing you. you. I know you did 22 years. You can't get out. You got, we need another two years of you. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as job security in this world unless it's got your name on it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like my, I got a, I got a buddy out in Las Vegas who's a cop. And he's like, oh, I don't need to save money. You know, I got infinite job security. Cops aren't going anywhere. And now I look at the, the, you still want to be a cop still for how is this going to go for the next 20 years? Like, yeah, even, you know, even if, not, even if everything goes back to normal, like, is that a yeah, career that is something like, I can't imagine enjoying that job right now at all. Nothing's yeah. impervious. Nothing's impervious. Nothing's impervious. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the most seemingly secure job, it there's, it's still risk. I mean, no one could have predicted coronavirus. So, I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> Except for yeah, it is crazy. Lab. How is it in? How is it in? Uh, yeah, Nassim predicted. <laughs> one of his one of his books that was actually an example that he used for. But anyway, how is COVID in Colorado? Um, it's it's tame. I think I know there's spikes in other states right now, but how are the people? How are the people? Are they acting? Oh, tame? no. But my husband and I are the only people wearing uh, masks on hikes now, and there's not a lot of people even wearing them in grocery stores anymore. I would not wear a mask on a hike. <laughs> well, I, I only I, put it up when we're passing somebody. Like, yeah. Okay. Right fair, fair enough. All right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, Otherwise that'd be really, yeah. Yeah. I was like cycling the other day and I saw someone wearing a mask riding a bike and I was like, that looks miserable. No, no, I'm not. No, hey, I like to breathe. Dave, can you get some masks for me with military to millionaire on it? That'd be dope. By the time we get them, we might not have to wear them anymore, but I'm so down. What? I'll wear it so what? I'll wear it forever on the show. <laughs> never, never in public, but on the show. To commemorate 2020. That, that would actually be really funny. I may just uh, go on Etsy and there we go. You are welcome. <laughs> oh, man. Has, uh, has, has any of this affected your – in fact, my guess is all this is uh, probably – made your business better, right? Because people now they're, they're realizing the fragility of their situation. Yeah. It's the rental income has been hurting the book royalty income. And I actually just launched my first online course in April and it did really, really well. I was a little bit nervous about that. I was like having a moral dilemma with, is this appropriate? And I just ended up asking my platform, 
you know, Hey guys, here's what I'm thinking is, is this okay? You know, would this help? And everyone was like, this would help. Please make this course. Like I want to sign up. And I was like, okay, this is good feedback. So I went ahead and made the course and that did really, really well. Um, the rental income on the other hand, it's definitely been impacted. Um, on a normal month, our rental profit is anywhere from seven to $12,000 per month. In April, it was $1,000. Now, there's a lot of landlords that are worse off than me. There's a lot of landlords that are doing better than me. The way I see it is if my worst case scenario is that I break even for a few months, I'm totally happy with that. That's fine. Um, you know, there's a, obviously there's tenants that can't pay rent. There's tenants that have moved out because they know they can't pay rent. And I haven't been wanting to put people at risk in terms of getting vacancies filled. So we just put a pause on that. So things are just vacant. And I think maybe we'll start to try to fill up the vacancies a little bit. But, you know, it, it comes back to this whole income diversification concept because my rental income, just like that, it's basically gone. The only reason I'm not in a panic right now is because I have all these other income sources keeping me afloat. And it's so important. You don't want to ever have to act out of a place of desperation when you're a business owner. What a, True hey, yeah. but hang on. How was May? You said April was bad. April was bad uh, for many people. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of it because of my, a lot of it was mindset in my opinion. Um, everyone was kind of like on this rent strike thing. It was like socially acceptable to skip rent on April, but May was better for a lot of people, myself included. Um, yeah. Was May better for you? Yeah, and I forget the number. I think we made somewhere on five or six grand. So yeah. we were getting right back up there. I'd say May was, May was actually my best month ever. Um, but that's more because I had someone I was trying to evict pre-COVID that I couldn't because of the moratoriums. Ugh. And then he was, he made so much money on unemployment. He was able to catch up on like four and a half months of rent. So. Oh my gosh. Lucky me. Hopefully he keeps paying once <sighs> uh, his unemployment goes away or I, I'll just continue yeah. evicting him. I don't know what economic system we're in anymore, but it's working for some people. It's, <laughs> it's Well, that's, that's what happened for us too. In May, it was like all of the, unemployment checks and the grant money and the assistance started kicking in. So we got a lot of back rent from tenants. So that really helped us and things are getting better every month. So I am curious what class buildings you like, are these like a class properties, B class, C class, D class? Like are these, you know, like what clientele does your, your 10 and 12 units uh, rent to? Cause I'm just curious. Yeah, how, many, how many bullet holes are in the front windows? <laughs> <laughs> the 10 and 12 units are class C. Okay. Uh, no bullet holes yet. <laughs> no of. Yeah, right. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a tricky area. Um, a lot of our tenants, you know, they were servers or forklift drivers or whatever. And those are, yeah. you know, the people that obviously all the restaurants are closed. So, Not you know, essential. they got furloughed. Yeah, they got laid off. So those three properties were the most impacted. The other ones we have have been fine. I did have to put somebody on a payment plan, but otherwise everyone else has been able to pay in full. So for the last six years, um, the real estate uh, narrative on the internet has largely been buy C-class properties because those are the most um, rent resilient of any class. Uh, cash flow kings. And so people went out and bought a bunch of C class, B minus, that kind of thing. That's what I did. And um, generally they come with no appreciation, but you get cash flow. And now we've seen a situation which is uh, actually really interesting uh, compared to the conversation we just had about, uh, you know, single point of failure or, you know, nothing is impervious to, 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 to breaking. 
And so now I'm curious, are you rethinking C-class or I don't know if you're planning on buying any more real estate, but uh, are you rethinking that strategy uh, to get away from C-class because now we're seeing an obvious crack or a potential obvious, I call it an obvious potential crack in, uh, <laughs> in tenant you know, uh, likelihood to pay? Yeah. Sounds like it's a definite maybe. Yeah, I, 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 I worded it poorly, but I think you're picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah, well, we stopped acquiring in 2018. We were because in that year we were both still working full time, and we just got to this point where we didn't have the capacity anymore. And financially, we got to kind of like our goal of what we wanted to be making from the rental income. So we haven't been acquiring. I don't really have any intention of acquiring, but I will say that we've thought about selling some of the properties, maybe reinvesting in a really big complex out here in Colorado. And if I was going to sell the properties, I would sell the C-class properties first. I like what you mentioned there subtly about not buying more. And I think that's a point that we've had someone else on here before rethink the rat race and he had a similar mentality and it was just kind of enough is enough. Um, I think there's a lot of people for, for, for me, I kind of enjoy the game, right? Like I, I think I'll continue buying real estate because I enjoy the, I enjoy it as a hobby kind of, as well as all the income related to it. But I think people get wrapped around buying more units and growing and building. And sometimes like they just don't realize that once you have enough passive income or, you know, whatever your goal is, it may like, I, I like, I like what you're saying. I'm starting to look through the lens of like, do I want to do that long-term? It might be a good opportunity, but do I want that to be part of my time long-term. If it takes too much time, then ultimately it doesn't help me achieve the goal I want, which is time freedom. And so I'm having to put things in that lens, even if they're good opportunities. So I think that's, I think that's a cool, uh, not conundrum, but whatever. Yeah, And I always tell people, you know, if you are trying to get into rental income and you want it to be passive, you have to build in the expense of having a property manager. Otherwise, you're going to be getting the calls at 2 a.m. You're going to be doing the maintenance and responding to this dumb tenant issues. And no one wants to be doing that. So, you know, I always say build that expense in from the beginning, even if you're not going to hire a property management company quite yet. Um, But I, I truly think the end goal for me is to get to a point where I can transition my money out of the rental properties and into something like portfolio income, which is a lot more passive. It's just that you have to have so much capital to make anything meaningful off portfolio income. So eventually I kind of want to make that transition, but we're probably not quite there yet. Would you define portfolio income for the listeners? Because I don't know if anyone's used that specific term on here before. Yeah. So it's basically making um, dividend income or interest income or passive income from the stock market. So dividend stocks and, you know, making interest on whatever investments you're making in the stock market or dividends from REITs, any of those types of investments or bonds, but there's not a lot to be made with those these days. So Hmm. to play devil's advocate on the bond front or not the bond front per se, but on the dividend front, what are your thoughts on what happens to dividends when companies start to lose money? Like how would you, how would you balance that as far as portfolio lending? Uh, so I'm not heavily invested in any dividend producing okay. stocks right now, Fair enough. but I, I mean, I would just, it's always goes back to, for me to diversification. Um, I would, if I was trying to make significant income from the, por- from portfolio income, I would have dividend ETFs. I would have REITs and I would have Fundrise, which I'm invested in and which I've really liked so far. Cool. 
easy enough. I just asked that because I know I know a few guys who were like heavy dividend investors because it was, you know, th- there are some decent returns there, but all yeah. their dividends got shut off two months ago. And I, you know, I've been not. I like to poke fun and talk smack, but so I've been poking fun and talking smack like, oh man, look, I got all my rental income, you know, while they're like, but at the same time, like it's a very viable strategy and I do own dividend stocks too. Yeah. So, I wish there was something that was perfect and foolproof and, you know, even a recession wouldn't kill it or whatever. But again, diversification, you know, there have your money is. in multiple places. There is. There is. It's called Forex. Right. Haven't you seen everybody on Instagram? You give me 500 <laughs> bucks and I'll give you 10,000 by the end of the week. <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> There's the, 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 there is a tried and true, uh, dead ass reliable way to make purely passive income bonds. They just don't have a fancy return. I know. Yeah, that's true. So if you had enough and you're like, Hey, look, just here's give my 3%, whatever it two, two yeah. and a quarter. Ugh. Once I get to three or 4 million in cash that I can invest in bonds, that's what I'll do. <laughs> I mean, we laugh, yeah. but that's what's uh, like Susie Orman, like people try to call her out on the fact that a large chunk of her money is in bonds. But if I had $20 million, that's where I'd put it. You can't Oh, lose, heck yes. Yeah. And who cares? I don't need like a 2%, even a 1% return on 20 million. Is... Yeah. No, you're, that's wrong. Sorry. That's wrong. Because if you had 20 million, right, you could sink it into an ETF. And even if it tanked, you lost 40%. It's going to come back. Right. Agreed. And it's like you can live. You can live on the 1.2 million you got left for, for in the interim. Yeah, I guess it's I not rephrase. worth. I would put a piece of it. Not worth bonds. giving up the potential upside to protect two million. I mean, unless you're at the end of your life. True. Which Susie or- Orman is. <laughs> oh man. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. So what's next? Um, I've been getting that question a lot lately and Good. it's like graduating it, high school. I don't, I don't know how to respond cause I feel like I've like achieved this huge thing that I spent so many years sacrificing for and I'm here. And so right now I'm just really enjoying the lifestyle and trying not to work a lot, even though I really like what I do. Um, but one of my big dreams has always been to write a fiction novel. So it's just one of those things that I think would be fun and I might start doing that on the side. I like it. Yeah. Rachel, do you keep a book list by chance? In terms of books to read or books I have read? Books you have read. No, but I read a lot of books. I'm going to share you my book list. Show me your book list. I should keep track. I think it's, I think it's super healthy to do book. I do small reviews and big reviews, but a lot of books that other people are never, ever going to read. And a lot of books that other people, God, know who would read it. Um, <laughs> but sometimes I'll, I'll catch, I catch, uh, you know, like everybody has their, well, if you read enough, you know, like I feel like you dive into, you, you go down wormholes of books that you like, whatever, that other people aren't going to read. So I was just curious because you sound what's like your, you know, What's your favorite book? I have all these ones up here. Everything Nassim Taleb. Okay, well, I got to look it up. My problem right now is I have so many books on my nightstand that there's no room anymore. I've started another stack on the floor. And so I've banned myself from buying any more books until I read at least 10. You should always, you judge a person not on the books that they've read and the books that they own that they are to read. So I recommend, I have, dude, I have so many books in my house that I've bought that I haven't read yet. I think that's so much more valuable than the books that you have that you have read. So I... 
encourage you to go buy more books, even though you can't get to them. Just that stack, man, just gives you. I'm so excited. I, there's a couple that I'm excited about. The Artist's Way is one I'm about to read. And then The War of Art. I've heard great War of Art's about. a good one. Yeah. I haven't read I, The Artist's Way, but I don't think Alex would like The War of Art. But that's, you know, I'm just going to say that before he goes and reads it and thinks I'm a terrible person. But <laughs> um, if it's like self-helpy or uh, parable it's not really his thing. Mm. So no rest I love looking at parable. You know what it is? I don't like to read books that are less than 50 years old anymore. I find it, I don't know, it's weird. It's hard to explain. <laughs> if, they've, if they've stood the test of time, then they're good enough. If they've lasted 50 years in print, then they're usually good enough for me. <laughs> All right, well, since we're talking about books, I'm going to go out of order here. And the first question I'm going to ask you is, what resource, book, course, website, whatever, would you recommend anyone looking to get started on a journey to financial independence? Um, I could list a hundred things. So I would say in terms of Please one don't. of my favorite, that's fav- a lot of show notes yeah. to write down. <laughs> one of my favorite books is Hold by Steve Chater and the McKissicks, I think is who wrote it. So Hold. And then two podcasts, uh, a military millionaire, obviously. So if you guys are listening, subscribe and leave a five-star review because these guys are awesome. And then another one that I like is Afford Anything by Paula Pant. I like I know Paula. Paula. Yeah. You know Paula? I She's cool. I am her biggest fan. And I actually she just is. recently connected with her, and I'm so excited. I've met Paula five, six times. We do not get along. <laughs> really? I can see that. She's a very strong personality, and so are you. And you guys seem to have very different worlds. I, yeah, I don't know. Paula, <laughs> Paula has her stuff together. This is not a – I mean, I don't get yeah. along with a lot of people. Not a, it's not a thing on her. She's got her stuff together. She does a fantastic service. I listened to her podcast for a while and it's, it's a, it's, it's a, that's a good one too. I like that. Yeah. I like it cause it's a mix of just pure money management, financial independence, and then also real estate. Yeah. What was the book? Hold? Hold. Yeah, it is. Hold. What's it about? Um, so it's about? rental property investing. Interesting that neither of us seems to have heard of it. That's I'm uh, surprised. I'm, I'm like officially, Bible. I'm officially peaked. I'm gonna go and order that right now. Yeah, there's um, hold. There's flip. There, it's kind of a series of books, but I like hold because I like rental properties. Hmm. Nice. I mean, it's a catch. It's a simple enough title. I like it. Yeah. All right, so the second question that's usually number one that I'm going to ask is if an 18 to 19-year-old was to watch, walk up to you, ask you for advice, and you only had a few minutes, what would you tell them? I would say if they are wanting to become an entrepreneur, business owner, or really make an impact on the world, then you can't start a business selfishly. You have to find a hole in the market and, and solve a problem. You really have to be thinking about what problem am I solving and how am I going to add tremendous value to other people? And I think that's where a lot of people have trouble generating royalty income in the first place. Um, you know, with the books, for example, you have to really be able to articulate, well, why would someone buy my book over the thousands of other books on the same topic that are already out there? And if you can't articulate that, then you're not going to be able to make the impact that you want to make. I like that. I like anything. Yeah. Serve first. 
That's how I kind of say what I think you're saying. Yes. Um, Give first, ask second. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, this goes back to what we were saying earlier about the, like the people who make the money aren't the ones who try to make the money. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. Well, the it, problem is if you're just doing it for the money, you're going to quit before the money comes and you're not going to put out that good a service because you don't really believe in it. And so conviction uh, is, is part is, it is an important part. Yeah. Anyways, her answer. I didn't mean to take it all the time. No, I, <laughs> I mean, agree. I agree. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And finally, where can people get a hold of you? Yeah. So both of my books, Money, Honey, and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement, are on Amazon and Audible. So ebook, paperback, audio. And you can find me on social media just by searching Money, Honey, Rachel. And if anyone listening wants, I will offer my passive income starter kit for free. So this includes deadly mistakes to avoid, you know, which passive income stream should I be start trying to create first, free resources and tools. So you can download that at moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus. That All right. Correct. I will link. That'll Rachel. be in the show notes as well. Rachel, do you narrate the audible? I don't. A lot of people ask me that. And it, it, to me, it was just a time constraint. I um, did not give myself enough time prior to launch. I was operating under a very tight, de tight deadline. Uh, but I found someone who did a really, really fantastic job. Like, I think she did better than I would have been able to do. That's kind of where I was getting at. Like, does it hurt, does it hurt your ego? Because I feel like I haven't written a book, but it feels like I don't think I could do. I feel like it would hurt my ego to let somebody else read my book. No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I... If it was like a memoir or something like that, then I feel like I would have had to do it. But it, it was just, it's more generic, you know, finance advice. So I have every intention of narrating my own audiobook. But now that you've said this, I'm thinking maybe Alex, Alex should narrate my book. Yeah, that'd be good. Then the whole book could just be like, wow, they, <laughs> they wrote this. Well, that's dumb. Scratch. It should. He would be add like, in all of his own commentary. <laughs> Dave should have said this. This is what Dave meant. Oh, this chapter's yeah. dumb. Like just tearing a page out. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. I would buy that. So please, I hope you do that. <laughs> yeah, everyone's trying to do the unique spin on audiobooks. Mine would just be having someone who hates me read it and talk shit the whole time. <laughs> I can't believe he wrote this, but this is what it says. Such <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that would be so funny <laughs> i think we're gonna do that i think we're gonna have to figure that out it's at least like a piece of the like a, this is what would happen if my co-host wrote <laughs> you know how they do like you know how they do like director's cut of the movies it'll be like that it'll be like the <laughs> cut. <laughs> i love it oh man rachel this has been awesome thank you so much for joining us this evening yeah thank, thank you guys for having me it was a lot of fun absolutely and uh, have a great rest of your day <laughs> that's you over. Too. <laughs> <laughs> you too. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarytomillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.